to day 12 of the 12 days of Christmas. How you do? We made it. We did. 12 days was definitely a lot easier than 30 days. Oh, way easier. Way easier. <laughs> I feel like 30 days was a bit of a stretch at the time. 30 days was very stretch-free. Stre- ah, yes. <laughs> and caused you to invent new words yes. to describe how tough it was. <laughs> Just to remind you guys that uh, after 12 days of Christmas, if you don't hear from us, we haven't disappeared off the face of the earth. It's because we've moved to a new house and we may not have internet. So hopefully our internet will be installed on the 30th of December. But if you don't hear from us after the 30th of December, we will be back. I promise. Please just write letters to the chief executive of BT saying how much you've missed us and, and why we don't have an internet service. And everything will be fine. That's British Telecom for those of you that are abroad. Because, you know, any weight from abroad probably helps as well. Most definitely. <laughs> And I've got three spooky listener stories for you today. I just want to say before we go, I'm still kind of... Uh, robbers messed me up. Which... I was thinking about that story about the dolls. And I can't get it out of my head. <gasps> when I was editing that story yesterday, I was like, God, that really was a very scary story for Dan. Because it was a creepy story, right? Yeah, really creepy. <laughs> Terrifying, in fact. Thanks for that, Rob. Story number one comes from Walt. I've been waiting for some time to share this story. I suppose I wanted to distance myself from it. In years. In miles. And perhaps I believed in memory. That is what I had supposed. But that is not the case. At least not 40 years or a thousand miles away later. I think of this story and the house I grew up in often. This is not a remarkable tale, but it is real, and those who share or were witness to what happened are not quick to change facts. Some hesitate when we mention an occurrence, but one thing anyone who knows this story will not do is share all of the pieces. I believe we fear that doing so may reconjure the inhabitants of that house, inviting them back just by invoking their memory. And none of us wants that. My father was a truck driver and our family spent much of my early childhood in a small apartment in Milwaukee's south side. In 1974, my parents moved us into the only home my father ever owned. It was a stretch for him to purchase this house, but we needed the room. There were five boys and our ages spread across the board from 2 to 18. We needed a big home for our large, immediate and extended family. Being Irish-Mexican and Catholic meant that we had more relatives than we could count, and this house would be full of family on any given day. It was an old house on the west side of town, set oddly on a wide lot. The home had a huge living room, with a walk-through dining room and kitchen with two bedrooms on the side of the living area. Stairs in the back of the home led to two bedrooms at the top of the stairs. The stairs going upward were part of the first bedroom, and if you went straight forward, there was a door going to a large attic. That door is one I won't soon forget. To the left was the second bedroom, so you had to pass the attic door to go down the stairs to the main level. The neighbourhood elder informed us that we had the second oldest home in the area, and he meant the entire area, before any of the neighbourhood was built. It was originally a store, and had been there since the turn of the century, around 1900 give or take. That explained the lack of full basement and the crawl through under the kitchen and back bedroom which was added on later when it became a bar around the depression, he said. 
and after that, we had the blueprints for the second story addition of two bedrooms. The house would have been on the very edge of town and the closest building near the local train stop, which was used until the 1960s. I don't even know where to start. I suppose it would be with something simple. I shared the bedroom at the top of the stairs with my older brother Ray. He was four years older than me, being 12 at this time. Ray slept with a box fan at the foot of his bed, which was fine with me because sleeping in the upstairs of the home could be hot. Ray slept with the fan near his head. I slept opposite, our beds parallel, with my head furthest from the fan. I couldn't sleep. It was warm, we had lived in the house for much of the summer but it was still new. It was an exciting and nervous time for a youngster new to a neighbourhood, so my mind paced the walls, imagining what might await during the weeks forward. The room was bright with moonlight and the white noise of the fan was mesmerising. I stared at the fan, waiting for sleep to come. But instead it was a small boy who appeared. Light brown hair, one-piece pyjamas, and rushing from next to me towards the fan, pushing it forward. I watched the fan drop backwards, and I was in complete disbelief. I was stunned and frightened. I wanted to shout out, but Ray leaned forward, grabbed the fan and looked to me asking why I was awake. I had no answer, I was stunned. I slept with the covers over my head and tried to discount what I had seen. In the morning I shared the story with my mother and brothers and there was no mercy for me. I was seeing ghosts, now that was funny. Noises began. Things began moving in the attic. Sometimes in the day but it was more noticeable at night. We thought it might be mice or squirrels. After all, it was an old house. But the night my brother and I were up late watching a movie and it sounded as though furniture was being dragged across the attic, it became evident that this was not a small animal. My father refused to believe anything we shared with him regarding our house. In hindsight, I can understand why. We weren't moving. He couldn't afford to leave and we were going to figure out how to adapt and overcome. I suppose we did, but it wasn't easy. The situation continued and became more frightening over the years that we lived there. I remember being with my younger brother watching television and during the empty void between commercials having the TV whisper out my name. It made my hair stand on end as my younger brother Nick sat speechless, not knowing what to say or do both of us asking if the other had heard the voice from the TV. My oldest brother moved away for a time, but then came back, so he asked to have the room at the top of the stairs. I wasn't sorry to give it to him. Ray and I moved to the back bedroom of the upstairs and with our beds parallel, settled into a night of peace. We shut the shades of the two windows. Fan on, I stared towards the ceiling. The room had many angles, given that a closet was added after the room had been built. As I relaxed, my eyes became aware of a small light. Not so much a light, but an orb, about the size of a tennis ball, that was very faint, moving at a casual pace counterclockwise about six inches from the ceiling. I watched it as it circled the room. There was no beam of light. 
There was not a flashlight and it could not have come from any window. After several passes, I whispered, Ray. And he responded quietly, Yeah? Do you see that? He said, The ball of light. As though it heard us, it became brighter and moved faster. Are you doing that? He said. I asked him if it was him. We were both panicked. We watched it and discussed it, but we barely moved until Ray went to the windows and waved his hands. The light continued and then slowly faded out. We slept with the lights on that night, and many more nights afterwards. My great aunt, hearing of our story, gave us a cross woven from Palm Sunday grasses. My mother blessed the house with holy water. We affixed the cross to a closet wall of that room. And for a while it started to work. But then it didn't. And things got worse. I should have known when I started finding the cross turned upside down. We began to hear music at night faintly. It would be described by all who heard it the same way. It sounded like gypsy music, like a squeeze box being played far away and it would not stop. It was eerie and upsetting and more than once one of us would walk around the house to see if it was coming from a neighbour or a radio, but it wasn't. It was in the house, in no particular place and yet everywhere. Time passed and my older brothers were hired at a local factory. They worked the second shift and would come home late. Bedrooms were shuffled again with Ray, Nick and me sharing the back bedroom upstairs and my eldest brother Kevin having the room at the top of the stairs still. My youngest brother Aaron had one of the two bedrooms on the main level with my parents being in the main bedroom. One night upon returning home from work, the two older brothers who had just settled in for late leftovers and a living room alone were confronted by young Aaron, who would have been no more than three and a half wandering from his bedroom. When they asked him why he was awake, he said, The little boy woke me up. Ray pressed him on. He was playing with my toys. I told him to put them away or mom and dad would be mad. And he did. The boys asked if it was a dream and he insisted no. And he continued describing the child. Pajamas, light brown hair. The same child that I had seen. And things disappeared, little things, important things, mementos. This continued until my mother's wedding ring disappeared. She took it off to cook and it was lost for days. Nobody stole anything in our home. It was a cardinal rule. You could leave $100 on a table and it would go untouched. Of course, nobody had $100, but my mum's ring was priceless. She was alone and upset, standing in the middle of the large living room, and in Spanish, she spoke an old saying loosely translated, May the devil stick it someplace and keep it. She turned around, and on the piano, standing upright, was her wedding ring. I only heard her share this story a couple of times and when she did, she would unconsciously spin that ring on her hand as though she feared speaking of it. Whispers followed. Upstairs, beyond the attic door and in the closet of the second bedroom upstairs at night. They were far off, but you could hear them. By the time I was a high school senior, I had the room at the top of the stairs to myself. Through some creative negotiating... I had talked my parents into having Nick share a room with Aaron, which was awful of me. 
In addition, Ray had moved out and Kevin had the room in the back of the upstairs. It still had that cross in it, but we had to put two nails into it so it wouldn't move, which seemed to work. The problem with that room was the folding closet door would open. This was an old vinyl folding door, so there was no way that inertia would open it. You'd shut it, latch and all, and when you came back it would be open four to six inches, like someone had been peeking out of it. We had a dog and it wouldn't go near that closet. As a matter of fact, none of us would put our clothes in it and my mom didn't argue with us. My bed was as far away as possible from the attic door. Next to the attic door was my dresser with a mirror on it. The night I woke up to what was one of the most horrific feelings I have ever had started as unremarkable. I remember awakening to the sound of breathing and opening my eyes to the presence of smoke filling my room. That's how I saw it. I was looking towards my mirror and what I can say is that there was someone or something there and it was very close. I could hear it and it was very near. It was something not of this world. It was menacing and its presence was overwhelming to the point of panic. Every alarm in my soul was ringing. I shouted out for my brother, Kevin! And in seconds my light went on and all menace dissolved. What is it? He said, emerging from the other room. I had woken him. I was embarrassed and confused and I told him it was just a dream. We said goodnight and he turned off my light again. After several minutes and still shaken, I fell asleep comforted by the fact that my eldest brother was just a few feet away from me. I awoke to the sound of my brother shouting for me, Walter, Walter! I ran towards his door and pounded his light switch on. He was sitting upwards and looked like he had seen a ghost. I asked him if he was okay and he uttered he thought he heard something and suggested that we both just go back to bed. But he left his light on. In the morning, in an uncharacteristic move, my eldest brother asked me what had woken me up. He wanted to know, so I told him. He was white. I, in turn, asked him the same question. I didn't want to necessarily hear the truth, but I had to know. And here's what he told me. After I woke him up, he went back to bed. His headboard was directly across from the door. As he began to fall asleep, he was woken up by whispering. He thought it was one person, but realised it was several people and the voices got closer. They surrounded his bed until finally, someone or something sat on his bed. He said the presence in his room was heavy and unholy, and that's when he shouted for me. When I turned the lights on, everything disappeared. And after that night, there was always a lamp on in one of our rooms. Always. I went to college and met my current wife. She was from a small town that was located hours away, so when she came to visit, she stayed with us in Aaron's bedroom on the first floor. I didn't want to scare her off, so I wasn't going to tell her anything about the house, but she learned about it quickly. The music at night was for anyone to hear, so I couldn't hide it. It was downright spooky. One night as she slept in my brother's bed, she awoke to the reflection of a small child staring at her from the dresser mirror so she eventually would sleep upstairs with me. I imagined myself a great protector, but when you try to protect against the unknown, the unknown can creep up on you. There were two nights that stick out. 
The first was lying in my bed and beginning to fall asleep and having a voice, its breath pushed right against my ear and tone mocking me, saying just two words that I will not forget to this day. They sat me up and they were real. Whatever it was had become a menacing thing most personal. The second thing I remember is being woken up and sitting up in the middle of the night. As I sat up, there was the same veil of smoke I'd experienced the night of the experience with my brother, and there was nothing menacing close to me, except there seemed to be something watching me. I looked around my room and could see no one. Then I looked down and could see myself. It scared me fantastically. It was as though I jumped back downwards into my body, but as I did so, there was something encouraging me to step out instead. It was like a macabre game, and that moment still haunts me to this day. I had shared that this story has no remarkable turn of events. We found no hidden rooms, no tragic history, no buried artefact. It was an old house near a crossroads of a railroad track, which built up and became like every other neighbourhood. Yet this house would wake you up with a woman shouting for help from the upstairs bedroom or all of the dishes sounding like they fell out of the cupboards. We all grew up and left the house. My father became ill when he was 60 and spent his last days in that same bedroom where we would see the little boy. After he died, my mother had a lucid dream. In it, he had taken the little boy by the hand and he was walking him out of that house. I dreamed of him as well. He hugged me and said he was alright and he was safe. After my mother sold this house, it changed hands several times, staying empty for years between occupants. There seems to be no rest for the place. My mom passed away in 2018. My eldest brother Kevin's wife works for the city in building permits. On her first day back to work following mom's funeral, a man came to file a building permit. He was excited and handed her the paperwork explaining he just got a deal on the house and had been working on it, but figured he'd better get in paper documents so it's all legal. It was our old house on Main Street, so it was occupied again. I wish whoever occupies it well and if they are digging in the backyard along the east wall, they will find a small buried St. Christopher statue. Please keep it there. Well, that is a terrifying story. Another child ghost for us to contemplate. And child ghosts looking out of mirrors this time. Yeah, I mean... That's your dream. So good. All so you need good. is a child do- a child ghost holding an antique doll staring out of a mirror and that's it. Complete. No, no thank you. No. Or crawling out of the mirror in a very like mm, ring-esque no. fashion. No. 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 Uh, this is... This is... Height of activity, is it not? Yeah, it is. Like crazy levels of stuff going on whispering random music little boy running around orbs of light doors opening people sitting on beds a lot of our stories don't have a resolution though that people sent in because i think we sometimes expect an almost movie-like resolution Mm. where you find a body or some bones or an artifact or something and you do some you find some sort of expert and then you get it all sorted. But actually in the real world, that probably doesn't happen. No. So it makes sense that there isn't really a resolution. Yeah. Worrying though, isn't it? <laughs> oh, terrifying. Yeah. I mean, maybe mateys 
building permit is to knock the place down and start over. <laughs> Maybe that's what he should, but leave the little St. Christopher statue. Yeah. yeah, please do. St. Christopher's for protection, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I'm not good with saints. I think so. I think St. Christopher. I feel like St. No, St. George slayed the dragon, wasn't it? Yeah. But I don't even know if St. I don't know. But say, anyway, St. Christopher. Keep St. Christopher. St. Christopher's medals are a very big thing in Catholic faith. Apparently they're meant to like, I don't know, protect yourself. Not that you know anything about. <laughs> Not that I clearly know anything about. It. And our second story today comes from Diana. In 2010, my family travelled to Sonora in Mexico for my sister-in-law's wedding. The night before the wedding, we were up late, chatting and finishing up the last minute details. With all the craziness going on, we weren't sure where we were staying the night. We were always able to find a decent hotel in town the same night with no issue. We were finally ready to call it a night, when my sister-in-law's neighbour, who was also our niece's godmother, overheard that we didn't know where we were staying the night. She offered us her guest room and of course we gladly accepted. We walked over to the neighbour's house. She lives right next door to my sister-in-law's house. She gave us the keys and wished us a good night and off she went. I opened the door and as soon as we entered the room I automatically felt uneasy like I was being watched. I tried to ignore it, changed my train of thought and prepped us for bed. By the time I was ready for bed my husband and both my daughters were already fast asleep. The bed was big enough to fit all four of us. I crawled into the bed, my husband was lying to my right and both my daughters to my left. I felt uneasy again and I could feel my heart was racing. I tried distracting myself with good thoughts and covered my head with a blanket and extended my arms over my head in a comfortable position. I remember being super relaxed. I could feel I was in that place of not being asleep but not being completely awake either. Well at that moment, something punched me in my stomach knocking the air out of me and before I could catch my breath, it was choking me. I was confused and scared. I couldn't tell if it was real or a dream. I could feel the pressure on my neck and wrists as I was trying to catch my breath. I felt tiny electrical shocks around my neck and on my wrists. The pressure was holding me down and choking me at the same time. It took me a few seconds to realise what was happening and I couldn't move. I started praying Our Father in my head and after a few seconds whatever was attacking me just stopped. I uncovered my head and saw nothing. No one was in the room. My husband and my daughters were sleeping. I started praying out loud. I tried waking my husband but he was in a deep sleep and wouldn't wake up. As I was praying out loud I heard a noise to the left of the room. Something hit one of the window blinds. It was rocking from side to side very slowly. I knew then that what had happened wasn't a dream. I was finally able to wake my husband after a couple of attempts. I tried to explain what just happened but he had been drinking that night and wasn't quite all there. He dismissed me and told me to go back to sleep. There was no way in hell I was going to fall asleep in this room and all I wanted was to get out of there. What freaked me out even more was both of my daughters started making moaning noises like they were having bad dreams. They've never done that before. Well, never at the same time. I felt that whatever was in the room was now bothering my girls. We grabbed our belongings and left in the middle of the night. With nowhere to go, I honestly didn't care if we had to sleep in the car. I was not able to sleep for the next five nights. I lost weight and felt sick to my stomach just thinking about what happened. Until this day, I cannot sleep with my arms over my head. 
I will wake up from my sleep as soon as I feel my arms go into that position. I don't wish this upon anyone. For those who have experienced something similar, you will understand. And for those who have not, I don't think you ever will. I sleep with my arms over my head all the time. I'm not going to be doing that anymore. That was really scary because that is so physical. Yep. So physical. And that's not just... You know, we talk about sleep paralysis all the time where people will feel things on their chest and they'll feel like they're being strangled. That's not being punched in the stomach. And that's a really particular feeling. That's not like a... That's not something you can confuse for something else. No. No. No, no, no. That's really scary. Yeah, it's very scary. Very scary. I don't really know how you deal with that. And it's obviously had such an impact as well because change the sleep and having it five days of sleepless nights. You'd be terrified to mm. go to sleep. Terrified. I'd be petrified to go to sleep if that happened to me. I'd nah, fall asleep in about five minutes. <laughs> That's five minutes more than I would normally fall asleep. <laughs> true, so. true, true, true. And our final story comes from Amy. It started off when I was on holiday in Louisiana with some female friends. I say female because one night they all went to a late bar and I really couldn't be bothered to go so I stayed at the hotel and slept. I was awoken by a man's voice. He had a northern English accent. My friends and I are from London so it stood out. I heard him say, open the window pet. Me and my groggy half asleep state did just that and then went back to sleep until 4am when the hotel was evacuated because of a gas leak that started in the room above me. Apparently if I had kept my window shut I would have died. I never told anyone about the voice and put it down to a dream. Then a few years later I moved to Paris by myself, getting over a breakup and wanting a new start. I was excited about a new adventure. I moved into my little apartment and started my new job working for their metro system. One night I had to work late, a clear night, so I decided it was 10pm and only 20 minutes to walk home and set off. I was about to go down a small back road that was a shortcut to my road and I heard that northern disembodied voice again. Don't go that way Amy pet, not tonight. Shook that not only did I hear the voice again, but he knew my name. Scared, I took the long way around, but kept my wits about me. I never had work the next day, so I went for a walk around my new neighbourhood and came across the shortcut I was going to go down. There was police tape. A woman had been assaulted down there at approximately 10.15pm, the time it would have been if I had gone down that road. The most recent encounter was back in London, I was in my flat by myself when I had an asthma attack. It was quite bad, but probably because I was panicking trying to control my breathing and look for my phone to call an ambulance when all of a sudden I had a banging on my front door. Turns out they had a call about my asthma attack from a northern gentleman who never left a name. I've done my family tree and have no northern relatives, so I cannot even think who he is, but I'm grateful that he's looking out for me. Wow. That is so cool. That just gave me such chills. Maybe angels speak in dialects. I want my angel to be a northern angel as well. Yeah. I was going to try and do the accent, but I thought, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'll just offend all of the northern people that are listening to the podcast. It's got to be someone, isn't it? It has to be someone. 
uh, but too it, th- coincidental. That's, you know, we spoke, uh, I think it was yesterday on yesterday's episode about how we were going to put everything down to angels from now on. Yeah. Isn't it so fitting that we're finishing with an angel story? It is. It's almost like we planned it, except we didn't. <laughs> I, I just would like to remind people that I genuinely do not plan these. These are all serendipitous. They all fall as they do. Hmm. That's really like shooketh me. I mean, three really specific saves. Yeah. And not just, you know, it was a, a, I don't know, I saw this, a similar bird every time. It's like, no, I heard a northern man's voice in my head saying, Open the window. Open the window, pet. Don't go down that way. And then when I couldn't find my phone, he's on the phone making a call for me to the people I'm trying to call. Fuck that. I mean, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against it. I think it's great. It's, it's creepy, but in a good way. It is. It's creepy. And if you enjoyed the 12 days of Christmas, you can find everything that you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can send us your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com and you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content. And on that note, we shall see you next year. Bye.